Hey y'all, I hope you're well. Welcome to another episode of Healthcare Boulevard. This is a podcast where we shine more light on healthcare and our goal here is to provide more options to people looking to choose healthcare as a career path, regardless of their background. My name is Sena Kapomo and I am your host and creator here. I thank you for tuning in. I appreciate your support. Remember, you can tune in wherever you get your podcast. Without further ado, let's get into today's episode. I have an exciting guest for you today. Um, he's a bit different in terms of the types of guests I've had here before. So he's looking at healthcare from a different aspect. So I'm excited to um, get into it and chat with him and see um what we can learn from what he does and how he gets there so matt welcome to healthcare boulevard how are you oh i'm doing great i'm, I'm doing great i'm glad that we could uh sync up here and, yeah. and i like it i do sometimes feel like i'm an anomaly for sure you know i've done <laughs> healthcare revenue cycle for two decades and i i feel like i, I keep repeating myself year over year Right. Uh, the importance of getting paid for all the work that whether you're a dentist or a PA or mm-hmm. a surgeon, it doesn't matter, right? You're delivering a service or you're getting paid what you're supposed to be paid on time. And when that doesn't happen, do you know why and what to do about it? Right. And it's it's interesting because uh, like compensation is not something that is often discussed from a healthcare point of view. Like from the moment you even think about becoming a nurse or a doctor pa or what have you anybody when when you're asked the question why do you want to become this it's the finance is generally not the forefront of our mind and even if it is it's like you almost feel uncomfortable saying (laughs) that you want to be you know a doctor because it's a good way of making a living you know um and while it is working with people's health much like any other career it's a way of making a living um, in addition to that. So I appreciate having you here to sort of dive deeper into that. Um, can you tell me a little bit of like how you got here and what your title is now? Yeah, so uh, I'm the executive vice president at a company called Metaball. So I've been here for four years. I kind of came on board to turn the company around. Historically, mm-hmm. the business was a, a billing software company uh, who also did billing services for a lot of surgical specialty groups around the U.S., Mm-hmm. primarily focused uh, uh, independent physician owned mm-hmm. groups. So the folks that wanted to maintain independence. Uh, what I've, my career actually, I started in healthcare revenue cycle in 2000. And I got, I, I was introduced, uh, I started out as a consultant. The first, the first part of my career was actually traveling every week. I don't do that anymore. Thanks to COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, but traveling every week to go work with large health systems to try to turn around their financial position. Okay. Uh, and, and the way in which I did that was I worked for companies that adopted the principles of automation in their revenue cycle, uh, as well as the uh, analytics and transparency. So knowing where you need to look now, stop wasting time trying to figure out if there's a problem or not. Right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I started with a, a boutique firm, uh, Stocking Up and Associates. I moved then to PricewaterhouseCoopers for a few years and then Deloitte and & Touche. And then I actually started my own healthcare analytics and automation comp- workflow automation company which I built up over five years and then eventually sold to a public company out of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've basically done the same thing here at Metavolve as I took a, a, a billing software and I actually put the tools in the cloud that make sure there's two things. There, there's making sure that the labor force that's doing the job for you, the provider is effective. 
and making sure that you're not leaving anything on the table. If you bill a dollar and you expect to get 96 cents back and you're not getting 96 cents, I need to be able to tell that to you immediately mm-hmm. and what you need to do about it. Right? And those two things, reducing your labor cost and improving your net revenue is what drives profit margin. And everyone knows <laughs> with no margin, no mission. So that's really you know, uh, the way that we, we focus here. And these, you know, it's amazing how, how most billing software companies, they fall short on this. You know, we as a company fell short for years until the last couple of years. And, and what was interesting is why I had to take this company in this direction was because our services business was failing. Our margin was gone in our revenue cycle services business. So we had to figure out, man, I have way too many people not delivering results. And so I was losing money in that business. And Metaball is a small company. We're privately owned. We don't have big private equity or VC behind us, you know, to write checks. And so we basically have to hunt and then cook our food and, and, and feed ourselves and then go back out the next day and do it again. And so that created a little bit more agility mm-hmm. in, in how we approach things. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the, and we'll probably get to this later on, but this, the whole pandemic has also further uh, created a lot of need around this, right? You cannot mm-hmm. find people. People don't want to work people you have, they don't know whether they're effective or not, right? They want more money because you can go work for Amazon and make more money, right? And so your, your labor is already being majorly disrupted as well. Oh, they want to work from home. Let's not forget about that virtualization, right? Got it. Now, so, so, so then you look at net revenue and it's like, can you really afford to write one or two pennies off that could have been prevented? Mm-hmm. No authorization denial or a benefits exhausted denial. You can't. You know, 10 years ago, you could, five years ago, you could, it hurt your margin. But now with, with the pandemic and the fluctuation and visits and ORs getting shut down and then they're coming back on and hard to find people, you see it's a perfect storm. And so, so any of your listeners that are out there that are delivering a service or managing the delivery of a service need to really make sure they understand the labor side and the net revenue side uh, more than ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... Were you a healthcare? Did you ever work clinically before getting into this line of work? No, I was one of those. I literally was at a job fair at uh-huh. my senior year of college. And it was like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I happened to, to see a couple consulting firms. And my dad had counseled me. And he said, you know, if you don't know what you want to do, why don't you go into consulting? Because, because you'll get experience. You'll get experience looking at people, process, redesign, right? You'll, you'll understand how to assess, how to critically think, right? All the things that you'll then apply to whatever business you end up in. Mm-hmm. I loved healthcare so much and saw such opportunity into it. I stayed with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are days where I'm not going to lie. I, I, I wonder why I'm still in it. Um, but that's usually more out of frustration that I feel like the sophistication level from the clinical standpoint is very, very good, but the sophistication mm-hmm. level from the administrative side is still very average. Mm-hmm. And I never, I, 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 that, 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 so that's, while that upsets me, it motivates me to try to come up with new ways to make it easier for administrators to know whether their people are effective and where they're leaving money on the table. Mm-hmm. So that's what keeps me inspired in this whole thing. Um, I have an identical twin brother who's a physician we get into lots of interesting discussions around reimbursement. Do you know what you're getting paid? Right. He thinks it's about all RVUs. And I'm like, well, half of those may not be getting paid. Do you know that? Well, no, I don't know that. I'm like, well, you might want to know that. <laughs> so we have some fun, fun there, but you know, it's, it's a, it's, it's, it's an interesting industry. Um, it's, there's a lot of things that 
a lot of opportunities to to improve this industry mm-hmm. uh, on the on the administrative finance side. Mm-hmm. So when you are talking to well, first of all, let's talk about how you even start working with uh, either a clinic or uh, a provider. Do you oftentimes reach out to them or are they usually reaching out to you? And what are the circumstances like? Yeah, so so just, you know, so my roles here, so I oversee all of our sales, business development, marketing for the company. I also oversee all of our revenue cycle services and then my data science and analytics and workflow automation development team. So I, I wear a lot of hats here at Metawall. Mm-hmm. What, what we've done over the last two years uh, and the case studies we've been able to build has allowed me to get on stage at conferences. I'll be at MGMA speaking tomorrow. I'll be at another workflow conference speaking, speaking about the results, right? The results that we're able to get by, by our approach and our technology. And that's bringing people to us, mm-hmm. um, which is a good thing, right? That's, that's what you want. Selling into healthcare, I've done it for two decades. It's very challenging. It's very hard to get to the providers. And even if you get to the providers, it's, 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 it's difficult to get them to understand how much money they're leaving on the table, mm-hmm. you know, and the administrators for the most part, don't really want to disrupt things. Right. You know, and, and, and so that's challenging. So try to go cold calling and walking into clinics, gift baskets and all that. Sure. We can keep doing it, but I found the best way to get into new business is to have the references, references coming from references. You know, hey, check these guys out. You should see what they're doing. I listen to a podcast, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And so that's really how we 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 do our, our referral based selling. Most of the people that are coming to us now recently are having issues finding people, labor. So they're trying to figure out a way to outsource their their all all of their revenue cycle billing mm-hmm. or part of it. Uh, and then it's lack of transparency, honestly, into what their people are doing, especially the ones that have had to send people home. And so it aligns really well with what we've already done as a company, because I have a complete virtual team. I have 65 revenue cycle service professionals that work from home, but yet I can monitor what they're doing and what outcome they're getting in real time. So mm-hmm. we built that. Now, we didn't build that for COVID. We built that for ourselves. It just turned out that the right. pandemic created an environment where this becomes a necessity. Right, right. Um, and so when you are working with, are you oftentimes working with uh, hospitals versus uh, clinics, or is it just a mix of both? So for Metavolve, so historically, my whole career doing this stuff was in the hospital side. So I was really in the larger academic medical centers with lots of employed physicians. So I was working both on the acute side as well as the ambulatory side. Metavolve has has traditionally only played in the independently owned physician specialty practices, orthopedic, okay. neurosurgery is fine. Uh, definitely uh, ophthalmology, urology, gastro, you know, those areas. Not to say that we couldn't play in, in other areas, right? The principles of workflow automation and, and intelligent uh, analytic systems applies to whatever revenue cycle. Like we're do, we just did a deal. In fact, the call I was on before meeting with you was a, a behavioral health company that's doing the addiction treatment rehabilitation um, business, and then we'll be doing the revenue cycle for them. So, mm-hmm. It really doesn't matter if a claim has to be billed out and paid. That's what we that's what we do. Uh, we just have a, the hospital systems too. Historically, are really hard to get into and navigate. You know, those are long, mm-hmm. long sales cycles because it's a lot of red tape to get through. To make yeah, the bigger the company, right? <laughs> right, and it is. You know, I, I know on the consulting side of me, it would take eighteen to twenty-four months to get a deal done. Mm-hmm. You know, and a small company like that, you have to. We need a little quicker sales cycle than. And waiting for the uh, a blue well. 
So right. although those do come, we actually did a deal this last year with a large ambulance company. They're second largest to AMR, the global billion dollar company. And the tools work for them, you know, and there's an, and there's an interesting industry because the amount of bad debt that gets written off mm-hmm. is, isn't, isn't tremendous. I mean, I mean, it's, it's like 8% of, of, of net revenue is written off the bad debt because they get bad information from the rigs the ambulance drivers and the emergency rooms. Right. So how do you start to solve for that? Well, one, you need transparency and intelligence around where the, where, where you're losing money. And two, you need the work drivers to make sure that your staff are doing their job. Mm-hmm. Right? You're paying them to do it, but are they actually doing it? And are they getting the financial outcome that you expect? Right. Simple to say, hard to get to. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're doing this, are you, so I'm guessing you're working with the billing department and the owner in, in deciding, okay, who's doing what? How do we make sure the the work that needs to be done is getting done and it's transferring into financial outcome? Is that correct? Yeah, so, uh, we, so we work along the revenue cycle. I'd say our primary focus is definitely from the point that the charge is entered and coded to the time it's a zero balance, hopefully paid in full. Uh, but we do also uh, do a lot around the pre-registration, the financial clearance, the waiting room experience. You know, again, this is all around work drivers. You know, are you getting authorizations? Are you verifying benefits and demographics prior to service? Are you collecting deposits? Are you collecting prior balances? So things, again, that are designed to make sure that that provider is maximizing uh, his or her uh, for each unit of work that they're doing. Um, so we do span really the whole revenue cycle. And then for, for the companies that obviously choose to go with our PM, our, our on-building software, then they would do all their scheduling in our, our system, check-in, registration, billing. Mm-hmm. So um, I will say, uh, you kind of touched on it already, which I, I like, is that I've learned in my career that you, you, you can't just install technology and expect the outcome, Right you really have to look at the people in the process that are do, uh, that are going to be using the tech and make sure they're aligned correctly. Right. I can't tell you over the last 20 years how many times I see uh, hopeful clients who buy technology because they believed in ROI, but then they didn't set their people and process up correctly and it failed. And so then they blame the vendor, you know, mm-hmm. well, the software didn't work. It's like, well, the software didn't work because you weren't open-minded enough to say, do I need to look at doing things differently? Mm-hmm. I'll give you a prime example. You know, you you could have a, a large uh, urology group that's used to working their account receivable. Uh, they have one one representative assigned to each doctor. Bad idea, because what if? How do you know? What if what if one of your AR representatives has fifty claims to follow up on, and the other one has five thousand? Mm-hmm. So you have to so so you make a recommendation. Say, I think you should look at pair specialization. So you know, have a Medicare team a work comp team, a Medicaid, you know, however you want to do it. And you'll have more ability to distribute the work. Mm-hmm. Close-minded, no, 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 we're going to keep it on the provider side. Right. Right. And, and so, so, and again, that happens in healthcare. It's the reason why consulting is a trillion dollar business because health systems and providers, they bring us in to go create that PowerPoint that says, here's where you are, here's where you need to be, here's how they get there. And then they don't do anything with it. Mm-hmm. And a year later, we're there again charging them the same amount of money. I mean, it's like my first, I feel like my first six years of my career was like just going back to the same places, having the same conversations. And then it's insanity, right? Because we expect the outcome to be different and it's not. Right, right. Um, so, working with clinicians and talking about money and, and empro- uh, employment, 
have you what are some challenges you've faced essentially in this line of work yeah i think the biggest thing is it's just the the soft education of what metrics they should be looking at mm-hmm. you know i've done a couple of podcasts with uh physicians uh one was er and one was a gastro uh, doctor great podcast and it was funny because it actually turned into i felt like the whole hour was was about educating on metrics and what they should go back and ask their administrators and and, and such but but I think that that's the biggest challenge is that you all um, go to your go to school, you get trained to be the best provider you possibly can. Mm-hmm. Your goal is to have the best clinical outcome possible. Mm-hmm. Where's the training on the revenue cycle? Where's the training on what you know managed contracts look like? Where's the training on what Medicare is doing or what value-based initiatives may be coming out of like? Where, where's the training on the basic metrics? I mean, I've literally met. So when we go into a sales process, I don't even have a conversation with a prospect if they're not willing to share some data and information so I can understand the current situation. Like I need to understand how bad it is and whether I even have a business fit with it or not. Mm-hmm. So two things there. One, the challenge at which these groups can get data, it, it, it's crazy. It mm-hmm. is amazing. I can wait weeks and weeks to get average data and still not even get half of what I asked for. And these are 50, 100 plus provider groups. You'd think that they'd have a system that could do it. But the other challenge is then the, the, the physicians, the PAs, the mid-levels, they haven't been educated on what their data even means, assuming they can access to it, right? So if I were to go, I had a, a, one, a surgeon tell me, he goes, I'm spending $950,000 a year in overhead. He goes, it just seems like way too much. And I'm hardly, I'm not after tax, I'm not taking home a lot of money at all. Not what I thought I was. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, do you know why you're spending 950000 It's like, well, sort of, not really. I said, well, do you know, like, like what if, do you know what your net revenue is? Like, wait, if you bill a dollar and you, are you getting, and you expect 96 cents back, sir, are you getting 95 cents? Are you getting 80 cents? Do you know? He's like, I have no idea. So there, there's the problem, right? So you're, you're, you're delivering a service, but you have no metrics coming back to you to say, is your service protected or not? Mm-hmm. And that's where the revenue cycle comes in. It's all those people from the point of scheduling to the coding, to the claim adjudication, denial management, to the patient liability portion, to the zero balance. How many people touch that? Mm-hmm. A lot. And those people are making up a lot of that $950,000 in labor expense, right? Or overhead expense. And if they're not effective, then, then your net revenue, when you bill a dollar and you expect 96 cents back, you're probably getting 80 cents. That's reality. Mm-hmm. And what would you do? What would you do with 10 more cents on the dollar? Mm-hmm. The fact that providers don't even know the basic stuff, and I'm not blaming them, haven't, mm-hmm. uh, haven't even been educated on it. And in my experience, a lot of times the administrators, they hide from it. Administrator doesn't want to show the doctor how, how the reality of the situation and get mm-hmm. fired, right? A lot of these folks are like, hey, I got five more years and so I'm gonna get retired. But I'm telling you right now, if there's a provider listening to us, you have the right to have access to the information you need to know whether your work is being protected financially. Mm-hmm. You, you have the right, you're paying for it. You know, you have the right to do it and you mm-hmm. have to demand it. And if your systems can't give you real-time data like that, then you need to change your system. You know, and, and I think that's the, the other piece is that people get stuck on their system. Well, I've been on this PM, EMR forever and I can't change. 
Well, you told me you think you have too much labor expense and your net revenue is not where it needs to be, but yet this system you've been using for two decades, whatever it is, can't even produce that for you. Mm-hmm. Time to change the system. Oh, we don't want to change the system. Okay, but you told me that, right? I mean, so I always sell, I go back to the business objective. You said you wanted to increase your margin. That's true. That's true. And you need to change this. Oh, I don't want to change this. Well, then you don't want to increase margin. So you have to kind of play this back and forth. Um, mm-hmm. And that's just the nature of the beast and in, in selling into healthcare. I, I found the last year though, uh, physicians, uh, med, you know, clinicians are way more uh, in tune with revenue cycle more than ever because of what happened as a result of sh- that shutdown, especially mm-hmm. in our world of elective surgeries, right? I mean, you're doing all these elective surgeries and then it just got shut down for two to three months. Mm-hmm. So that disrupted and then covered a lot of efficiencies for folks. So I feel like the conversations are easier to have now than ever. Right, right. It's it's interesting because you're you're totally right. Like I I went through a whole you know peer education, and even before that, I, be, I was in healthcare, and I have tons of healthcare folks around me. And most of us, it's not part of our education. It's focused on patient care. It's focused on making sure you deliver the best health to the patient, which is amazing because that's what we are called to do. But for those who want to do something besides that and open their own clinic, or at least understand, like you said, understand the finances behind that, their education is not there. It's not part of what we learn. It's not part of what we focus on whatsoever. So it's really the onus is on us to, um, to go ahead and you know self self educate ourselves and get into it as we can and talk to folks like yourself and understand what's happening because again if you can be the best clinician out there and go ahead and open your clinic and you may have the best uh nurses and doctors and nps and pas working with you but if you don't understand what the revenue is um then oftentimes that's that's it's not really a standing strong business so i totally appreciate what you are doing here <laughs> yeah i mean and you're not alone right? i mean i mean mm-hmm. again i i would say if i had a thousand providers in a room i think one percent would would have a good foundation of what they should be looking at a and b access to that in, in mm-hmm. a relatively real-time fashion right so i mean it, this is a problem it, it's just now you know if, if we're if this country is going to continue to try to deliver i call it you know non-socialized more capitalist healthcare, they've got to to start looking at these things, right? I mean, look at the consumer debt side, look at the patient, right? 20 years ago, 5% of provider income came from the patient. So if you collected from them or not, it didn't really impact your life. It's like 55% now in growth. Mm-hmm. deductible plans. So like when you look at, and, and the reimbursement is, is shifted too, right? I don't think Medicare is going to start paying you all more money because they feel like I, I, they probably don't have any more money with all the trillions of dollars we keep writing, right? Yeah, so somewhere's going to get cut, mm-hmm. you know, and then you have an aging population, right, which is which is now going into Medicare or already mm-hmm. in Medicare. And now you have declining reimbursement. So depending on your specialty, if you're like urology, for example, you're going to get really hit on reimbursement, even if you do everything right, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and then you get into the hospital side with the emergency rooms and the bad dad and the that's a whole different ball game. I mean, it's so sad to, to see the smaller critical access hospitals starting to, to fold mm-hmm. and go out, of, go out of business because they, they can't support that revenue cycle. Again, they don't have, they're not consistently using the tools that I'm talking about 
But on top of that, they have to manage an ER, right? Mm -hmm. you know, I call it a lot of free care that's going out there. Uh, and then you've got the cost, the cost of delivering care. Drug companies aren't going to start giving drugs away for free. Med device companies aren't. Look at the profit margins mm -hmm. on insurance companies. Look at the quarterly profit margins on de device uh, supply companies. It's insane. Like, how are we ever going to pay for that? You know, uh, so so really, at the end of the day, when you bill that dollar, you've got to get what you expect. And when you mm -hmm. don't, you need to know why and what to do about it. And you have to make sure that the people that are getting you pay, which are supposed to be paid, are effective. And mm -hmm. you don't need all those people. I can't tell you, like, we'll go and install our software. And they think they need 10 people doing insurance AR follow-up on claims. And it turns mm -hmm. out they need three. Mm -hmm. So it's like... Those seven that you thought you had, you don't even need to go hire. You don't have to train them. You don't have to spend the money on a recruiter or whatever it is. You just, you're good to go with three that you have. In fact, you had five. So three, three can be here. And then two, you can move to some other area of the revenue cycle. Mm -hmm. Or if they're not performers, then, you know, you can exit them out of the organization. But those are such different conversations today than 20 years ago, mm -hmm. uh, where, where the revenue cycle was supported by a lot of fee-for-service contracts. Um, and there was a lot, I think there was a lot more, more reimbursement that was, you know, 5% coming from the patient, right? There was a lot healthier revenue stream coming in. Now it's not a healthy mm -hmm. revenue stream. So. Have you found any uh, correlation between those, the practices that have the finances and, and revenue cycle in order and better organized and the, and the patients that are walking through the door, like that's the perhaps increased patient care, have you noticed, or did they mention anything in that regard? Yeah, so I'm glad you asked that question. I actually have found that patient satisfaction improves the cleaner mm -hmm. the revenue cycle you have. You know, walk through an example where they, you know, the front office doesn't verify benefits and eligibility and bills the wrong insurance, mm -hmm. right? And then that system drops a statement to the patient saying, you owe me $2,000 patient now has to call in and say, I don't understand this bill. I have Blue Cross. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Sorry about that. Then they file it with Blue Cross. Then it comes back with a no authorization. Now it's, you know, so, so the customer side, I think is, here's the way I look at it. Being more transparent mm -hmm. with the client, with the customer is key this day and age. They're going to owe a lot more money than they ever have. As long as the providers have flexible ways in which to get that money, payment arrangements, maybe there's credit financing options, right? It's not like, hey, you owe me this money, you got to pay everything today, mm -hmm. especially the first quarter of the year when these deductibles reset. So, so it, it's important for the clinic, the provider, the health system, whatever it is, to offer flexible payment options for patients. But it's also important that you do everything right on the front end for the patient, not just clinically, but financially. And part of that is what I call financial clearance, is it's making sure that everything's in order, that that claim goes out and it gets paid. Mm -hmm. And what's, what's patient liability is patient liability, some of which you may have already collected or should have upfront before you deliver the service. Mm -hmm. So it does create a better customer. I mean, we've started uh, using mobile engagement to collect self-pay um, AR. So instead of sending a paper statement right out of the gate, which is expensive and nobody really opens them anymore, right? We've used digital communication and mm -hmm. I can't tell you the debates I get into when I'm selling this to physicians and they're like, well, my patients will never, 
they're not going to pay from a mobile text with a link and an email. I said, yeah, but they pay everything else. They use Venmo to pay their buddies for food and they, they order their, their dinner on Grubhub and I order my coffee ahead of time so I don't have to stand in line. So I, I, I think you're wrong. And so <laughs> we'll take them live. And 30 to 40% of the money that comes in is off of the first mobile engagement. They mm. click the link, they make the payment. No right. statement, no statement costs, customers happy. And that number is only even, get, even gonna go higher. We, we have three ways in which we solicit uh, money. Uh, we, a robo dialer, auto dialer, which we'll call once the patient connects and you know, we'll try to get the payment. Mobile text and then email. This last month, we looked at our total collections across all self-pay business lines. Number one was email, number two is mobile text and phone calls is now number three. And that, that gap is widening. So again, I, you know, when you think of the, the, the how you collect the dollar that you're owed, a lot of it's going to come from the consumer, but you have to have ways to engage the consumer. Mm-hmm. Make sure they understand their liability. You're flexible in how you collect that liability, and um, and you and, and you collect it. You know the bad debt write-offs are not acceptable, especially in the surgery. Look, emergency rooms, yes, it's going to happen. But if you're an elective surgeon out there, or a dentist, or PT, you should never have a bad debt write-off. Right? I mean, the patients you treat should have the ability to pay. Mm-hmm. You know, they may need flexibility in how they pay you. But that's 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 your right. I can promise you right now, like in PT, those reimbursements are getting killed. <laughs> mm. I mean, literally. I, I mean, it's like I've I've got friends that are in PT that just closed up shop. They're like, I, I can't make money, so they go and they get employed by a hospital. They're like I'm mm-hmm. just I'm done trying to run my own business. Mm-hmm. You know, and so so those things are going to continue to be impacted. But at the end of the day, you can't write off things that had money tied to them. You just can't. Mm-hmm. And 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 you got to make sure you understand who's making the mistakes and what to do about it. Mm-hmm. No, that's that's fair because it's a it's it's hard to think about all of the you know the finances and all that. And some folks like myself are not the most comfortable talking about money. <laughs> it's like it can be an icky situation. Like no, let's just you know be amazing and you know give amazing services and be great. Um, but you know with amazing services, if you don't have the finances to back it up the most amazing yeah. practitioners can end up becoming, going back in the back burner. Um, I was actually talking to this with my husband last time about how, even like, even, for example, in like medical school interviews or like PA school interview or any healthcare interview, one question you're almost sure to be asked one way or the other is why do you want to become X, Y, or Z? right and in that answer you are hard to find anybody who will put finances as part of that answer you know because it's like it's essentially looked down upon what you're expected to say is i want to save lives and be amazing that sounds like the right way right and we do but at the same time you don't want to save lives out there and come home and not have not really have a way to pay your bills and so forth or pay your loans which most of us have like you know crazy amount of loans um so i i you know this service is definitely much appreciated where do you see um the future of this going well, again, I, I, I don't really bring the clinical side to it. You know, I, I, I'm always impressed with the, the advancements that are made, you know, in, in the clinical ways in which we treat, you know, reducing length of stay and all that. Um, I think on the finance side is that you're going to start to see more of this value-based uh, reimbursement models, you know, where people are going to be held accountable for, for clinical outcomes and get paid for it, right? 
Mm -hmm. We have a couple clients that, are, that participate in that, orthopedic groups that participate in the, the value-based initiatives with, with Medicare, you know, so do a total hip, do a total knee. We're going to measure, you know, how, how effective you were over 90 days, you know, keep the cost low, you're going to get a nice, nice check. So nice. I think we're going to see more of that, um, that behavior, you know, that, that behavior from the insurance companies to try to design those models. Um, you know, I think fee-for-service will stay. Mm -hmm. uh, I think Medicare is going to continue to look at ways of cutting um, reimbursement because they're going to have to, mm -hmm. not, you know, not necessarily because they want to, because they're going to have to. I also think that that the demand of the labor force to have flexibility in how they work is going to stay. Mm -hmm. I, I don't believe that um, healthcare is going to be able to get away from the new work from anywhere culture i just don't mm -hmm. i think there's gonna be two other other there's too many other job opportunities for folks to go to that will allow that mm -hmm. but if you don't have ways to measure when they're working how well they're doing the outcomes they're getting right that feedback loop to the employee then you're going to be in a tough situation right so, <laughs> the other thing is recruiting right good luck recruiting talented people if you don't have that option so we've had to actually in our services, like I don't really care where they live anymore, right? We, we actually allow, we're hiring across the country because I can watch you from anywhere and you know that. And so it's, it's uh, you know, we wanna get the best talent possible regardless of what zip code they live in. Mm -hmm. The other thing to consider too is, is that think of what you could do with that office space, right? You look at mm -hmm. most business offices, they're huge. You mm -hmm. can turn those into uh, rooms, patient rooms. You could increase throughput there. You could mm -hmm. just, shut it down and get your money you know, and stop paying the lease. There's lots of things that people can do by bringing folks home. Um, mm -hmm. So I do think that that virtual, virtual, um, virtualization of, of the revenue cycle personnel is going to, going to be here to, here to stay. Mm -hmm. And then on the consumer side, you know, we're going to continue to expect flexibility in, in how we, we pay. Um, you know, we're going to, uh, continue to push hard on flexibility with finding the doctors and scheduling and all those things. You know, mm -hmm. and, and a lot of these niche vendors have been around for quite a few years. But you, you just look at the phones. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I have two two sons. They're pretty young. I got a ten and a seven year old. And even my seven year old, the stuff that he's trying to do on my phone, I'm like, my lord, where are you going to be in ten years? This next generation of patients. Right are going to expect, like, I don't want to talk to you. I want to, I want to literally do my clinical treatment through text message. You know, mm -hmm. I, I need this or that. Just take a picture of it, send it to me, telehealth. It's where we're going, you know, yeah. unless you have to have me on an operating room table, mm -hmm. I really don't want to see you, mm -hmm. you know, because that's that, this is this next generation of, I mean, even phone calls, it amazes me. Like we have our, our call center, but we have a chat bot. Right. Where you, you know, so you can call me or you can chat with me. I don't know the stat, but I bet 75% of the inbound communication comes through chat, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, and yes, airlines are doing it. Hotels are doing it. You know, yeah. I don't call the airline numbers anymore. I just go chat with Bob in Arizona. Bob tries to solve my problem, you know? Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. So I, I do think that there's, there's there, but look, at the end of the day, it's like where we started this conversation is regardless mm -hmm. of what macro things happen in healthcare, as long as this country uh, chooses not to go, you know, to a socialist, you know, single payer system, which in my, my life, I don't think that'll happen mm -hmm. unless there's a macro event that, that demands it. Assuming that doesn't happen, 
you, you as providers have to make sure that you're protecting every dollar in revenue that you build, that you, I'm sorry, that you produce, that the work that you deliver. And when that doesn't happen, you need to know why. And you need to make sure that the people doing the service for you, including the administrators, the CEOs, the highly paid X, Ys, and Zs, are, are, have a fiduciary responsibility for you because you went to school, you got clinically trained, you're focused on clinical outcomes, you have student loan debt, You've earned that right, you know, to to get paid for the work that you do, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think people just lose sight of that, you know. It's like, well, at Hippocratic Oath, I just want to save lives, which is true, and that's great, you know. And I, I, I'm like you; I don't know a lot of my provider buddies who are like, whether they're PAs or, or anything, saying, "Oh, I went into this because I expected to make a ton of money." Yeah. First of all, I'm here to tell you that might have been the case 20 years ago, but even some of the surgical specialties that you think would make tons of money. It's not, it's not like it used to be, you know, mm-hmm. and I don't think we're going back to it. And a lot of that is because the overhead has gotten so high. So in order to reduce overhead, you got to have transparency in where you're spending money. Mm-hmm. Right? And a lot of that is on people who aren't effective. And it's also on people who aren't motivated, right? I always look at, uh, I, I was an athlete all through college. And so I kind of approach things like there's capability and there's willingness, right? You can be born with capability, but just not willing to go after it, mm-hmm. but you can, not be born with certain capabilities, but you've got the work ethic and the willingness to do everything you can to get to a certain level to be able to produce, right? Same thing in work. It's, I have somebody who's capable and not willing. You can't, I don't need you on my team, but if you're capable, if you're not capable, but willing, Mm -hmm. I'm going to give you a shot. Mm -hmm. And and so I think that, you know, it's, when we look at employee effectiveness, it's not just trying to isolate the folks that, that need to be moved out of the organization. It's saying who needs to be built up? Mm-hmm. And then do we have incentives in place for people who produce, you know? Mm-hmm. So those are all things that, you know, again, probably other podcast topics, but, you know, we're all human. We all show up to, to work in one form or fashion. I hope when people show up to work, they're proud of what they do. They're proud mm-hmm. of, 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 you know, they get paid to do a certain thing. Um, that may just be really aspirational in me, but I, I just believe that, that those who want to deliver, you know, are, um, they're out there, you know, and they want to do the right thing. Sometimes they just don't know what the right thing is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, Matt, that is about all the questions I have for you. If you don't have anything else to add, I'm going to go ahead and uh, start saying goodbye to you. <laughs> no, no, so I appreciate the time. And, and again, like I tell anyone I do podcasts for, I hope there's at least one listener that'll be like, oh, okay, that's, that's interesting. Uh, I might think about that a little right, bit. Right, right. So, well, thank you so much. Um, have a beautiful week. Well, hey, you have a great week as well. All right. That's all I have for you today. Thank you again for joining me. I appreciate you. Please subscribe, follow, like, comment, and share. And uh, stay blessed. Bye.